frustration that all of us have, whether you're a Christian or whether you just believe in God, but you've hit this really, really rough patch, this hard time, and so you're just lobbing up prayers to whom it may concern or is anybody out there? Because no matter what religious persuasion or what you believe, there will be a season in your life or you've had one or maybe you're in one where you just feel like God is being inattentive or uncooperative or late. And one of the things that makes this so challenging is when you're in one of those seasons where you're pleading with God, where you're begging God, where you're asking God, one of the things that makes it so difficult is when you look around and it seems like everything for everybody else is going just fine. Now maybe you're in the middle of that now. And you're praying for your husband or you're praying for your wife and they aren't showing any signs of wanting to work on the marriage or you have a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter and maybe it's a health issue for you, maybe it's a health issue for someone you love, maybe it's a job thing or a school thing or a future thing or a relationship thing and you're thinking, if there really is a God that cares for me, why wouldn't he answer my prayers? I mean, this is simple. Again, I'm just trying to get up to normal. I'm just trying to get up to average. Why would God be so apparently inattentive to what I'm asking him to do? And you know, if you stay in a season like this long enough, you can begin to have doubts about God, not just his traits or characteristics, but maybe even his own existence. Now, maybe you came from a church background or a religious upbringing where you were taught, well, if you just have enough faith, then God is going to answer your prayer. And so you feel a little bit put upon. You feel like there must be something wrong with, with you. There's something wrong with your faith. Or maybe you grew up in a church where it was, well, if you'll just give more, God will honor and bless you. If you just serve more, God will honor and bless you. If there's sin in your life, God is not going to hear your prayer. So you're in a season where God seems absent. And you look in the mirror and you say, what's, what's wrong with me? Now, one of the reasons we're doing this series is that throughout scriptures, but specifically in the New Testament, there are men and women whom God obviously loved. He knew their name. But if you were to drop into certain segments or chapters of their life, you would assume about them what it is so easy to assume about you. What it's easy to assume about me. God's not listening. God is inattentive. God is being uncooperative, or maybe God is just being late. Now on Father's Day, we tackled the theme of when God is late with the story of Lazarus and the dismay and despair of his sisters, Mary and Martha. Last Sunday, we looked at the situation of when God is inattentive with John the Baptist, who was in prison because of Jesus. And if you want to go back and pick up on any of those, they each stand alone, but they're loosely connected in this series, then contact Kathy in the church office. Today, as we look at when God is uncooperative, we're going to talk about another man. And he's introduced to us in the New Testament as Saul. And then later we come to know him as Paul. 
And Paul was this guy who took the gospel, the, the truth of Jesus, and he took it outside of Jerusalem and outside of Judea, and he began to spread it all over the world. Now, he became a Christ follower about three to four years after the resurrection, but before that, as most of you know, he actually and actively, aggressively persecuted the church. His goal was one thing and one thing only, and that was to stamp out this religion that was a knockoff of Judaism and to crush it once and for all. And then he had his Damascus Road experience. And after that, it was all or nothing. He spent some time training with James, the brother of Jesus. He spent some time with Peter. And then for 20 years, he launched out into the world to take the gospel to places it had never been taken before. Paul spent his adult life getting on ships, traveling all over the Mediterranean, introducing this idea that God has done something unique and special in the world. He sent Jesus, His Son, in this world, into this world, to die for our sins. Now you know a little bit about Paul, and these are some of the things we learned in, in Vacation Bible School. Paul was shipwrecked. He was beat up. He was stoned. He was whipped. He was put in prison. He was snake bit. He almost drowned. In fact, every single day with Paul was an adventure. And God had called him to this very specific task, Shane. God did miracles through Paul. For 20 years in his adult life, 20 years, he did nothing but serve God faithfully. Now very soon after he became a follower of Jesus, he was afflicted with some kind of physical ailment, we think. In fact, it was such a big deal that it became an impediment. It became an obstacle for him to do what God had called him to do. So when the Apostle Paul realized that this thing was going to keep flaring up, he did exactly what you would do. He did exactly what I would do. He began to ask God to remove it. And God told him, no, 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 no. Paul, it doesn't matter how much faith you have. It doesn't matter how long you pray. It doesn't matter how obedient you are. I don't care how long you fast. I don't care what you promise. I don't care how hard you bargain. The answer to this one, Paul, whom I love, whose name I know, and whom I call to this very powerful ministry, the answer is no. 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 And you know the Apostle Paul wrote letters to all the churches he founded, or he had them dictated, or some people were influenced enough to write them. And those letters, those writings fill up half of the New Testament. And God said to him, no! Now let me tell you, if I stop the message right there, that should come as an incredible encouragement to many of us because you think sometimes God doesn't know your name. You think God must not care. And what I want you to know is that one of the men he used more than any other man other than Jesus, once the New Testament era began, God said to this man, no. Jesus said to him, but in replacement, 
In response to his request, God promised him something else. And what God promised to the Apostle Paul, I believe from my own experience and from what Scripture tells me, he also promises that to you. God also promises that to me. Now, if you have your Bible, I encourage you to follow along. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, exactly where Emily read on page 1216. That's in the right-hand portion of your Bible that we call the New Testament. <clears throat> so let me tell you what's going on as we drop in on this conversation. The book of 2 Corinthians is really a letter that Paul wrote to the Christians in Corinth in a church that he established. And in this letter, he is describing his story. He's telling his narrative. He's giving his testimony as part of his, his letter. And as part of his story, he says that God had revealed to him some very remarkable things for him to share with the rest of the church and the rest of Christendom. Such that, in order to keep him humble, God has allowed this experience of having this affliction. And in describing his story, he gives us an insight into what we can expect when God says no. 2 Corinthians 12, middle of verse 7. <clears throat> he says this. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, because of these amazing things that God had revealed to him, I was given a thorn in my flesh. And I know that many of you have used that expression for years. You used it to describe your ex, you used it to describe your in-laws, you used it to describe your boss or a colleague, your neighbor, whoever it might be. You go around and you said, they are just a thorn in my flesh. You didn't know it this whole time. You've been quoting from the Bible. <laughs> this is where it came from right here. And this was, in Paul's case, literally some sort of chronic something, some malady that just followed him wherever he went. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan. Now, we don't know if he meant literally or in a figurative way. I mean, have you ever had the week from hell or the vacation from hell or the Christmas from hell? Some of you are going, yeah, yeah, all of those, all of them, yeah. You know what we do? We attribute something really, really bad to some kind of satanic or hellish thing. And we don't know if he meant it literally from Satan, he got this, or in some figurative way. He said that whatever it was, though, it was so awful that it tormented him. Now, we really don't know what Paul had. Some people think he had recurring epilepsy. And he never knew when he was going to have a seizure. He'd wake up on the floor, and people back then thought it was some sort of demon possession. Some people thought he had recurring bouts of malaria. Some people think it might have had something to do with his eyes. We know that Paul had really bad eyesight. Some say it was a chronic temptation in his life. We just don't know. What we do know is it was a kind of an ailment, some type of impediment. It was a constant torment to him everywhere he went and every place he tried to do the ministry that God called him to do. Imagine this, okay? This is a guy who's been called specifically by God to do the most important thing anyone could do in that generation. And at the end of the day, he was successful at that. So all he's saying, and again, we feel this way like, God, all I'm asking you to do, and, and in his case, he could have prayed, God, all I'm asking you to do 
do is what I've seen you do to other people. Heal me. I'm asking you to do what I've done for other people. Heal me. In fact, he says this. Look at verse 8. <clears throat> Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now that doesn't mean that I prayed it on Monday afternoon, Tuesday afternoon, I skipped Wednesday, prayed it again on Thursday, and Friday said, oh, what the heck, it's not going to happen. These are like seasons of prayer, probably, when things got really, really bad, when whatever this was flared up, and he thought, I'm just not going to be able to go on. I can't take this any longer. So three times in what we think is about a 14, 15-year period, he just pleaded with God, maybe days and nights, maybe he fasted, maybe he fasted and prayed, we don't know. But it got so bad, he didn't just ask God, he pleaded with God. And just think of the bargaining power the Apostle Paul had. I mean, you know how you and I bargain with God, right? God, I'll go to church every Sunday. God, I'll give more. God, I'll serve. God, I'll never pick up another drink. I'll never smoke. God, I'll never, I'll never, I'll always, I promise, I'll always, I never... You know how we bargain with God. But just imagine how the Apostle Paul could bargain with, negotiate with, and argue with God. Three times he said, three times he pleaded with God to take this away. And again, if we stop right here, and I don't know, is it just me? But I get the feeling that this would be really, really encouraging because it would be nice to know that there was someone God loved, someone who knew his name, called to do a miraculous thing, an incredible thing, and who God used in a significant way. And in spite of all this, God said no. In fact, he goes on and says this. Look at verse 9. But he said to me, after I pleaded three times, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul no, but my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not going to give you what you're asking for, but my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not going to give you what you're asking for when you think that you need it, but my grace is sufficient for you. You're going to have to go another season without. You're going to have to go another season of your life dealing with this, but my grace is sufficient for you. Now, grace in this context, church, is simply the ability to put one foot in front of the other. Grace is the ability to get up and go through another day. Grace is the ability to go to work and endure it one more time. Grace is the ability to come home to the unknown one more afternoon. Grace is the ability to keep on going in spite of the fact that nothing around you has changed or appears to be getting better. Grace is the ability to find the energy, to find the strength, to find the courage, and to find the faith to keep moving in the direction that God would have you move. So God says this to the Apostle Paul, whom he loved, No, I'm not going to remove this impediment, but I tell you what I am going to do. I'm going to give you the strength to keep going forward with it. Because my grace is sufficient. That is, it's adequate. In fact, it's actually more than enough for you. Now look at his next statement. <clears throat> for my power, for my power is made perfect. That is, mature, 
comes to full fruition, is totally exploited. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, none of us would sign up for that. Because here's our version of that. We want to be the guy in the end zone with the football under one arm and our finger in the air with the other hand, giving God the glory as we make a touchdown, right? I mean, we want to be the guy trotting around third base because he's hit the, the, the game-winning home run out of the park, running toward home to meet his teammates with his finger in the air, giving God the glory. See, friends, we're all about giving God the glory, but we don't want God to leverage His glory out of our weakness. We want God to leverage His glory out of our talent, out of our opportunity, out of our accomplishment, out of our strength. I mean, we want to be songwriter of the year. We want to be awarded album of the year. We want an Emmy or an Oscar, and everybody's attention is on us. And after we thank our producers and all the people who helped get us there, we want to be the one that says, and I want to thank the Lord Jesus Christ for getting me to this place. And I'm like you. I love it when famous, successful people give God credit, when they give Jesus credit. I love it, and I want to be one of them, don't you? God, leverage my success. God, put me in the spotlight. And when you put me in the spotlight, I'm going to... And God does that sometimes. But then Paul, sometimes God says, no, I'm not going to leverage your success. And I'm not going to leverage the skill I've given you, and I'm not going to leverage the opportunity, and I'm not going to leverage the talent I gave you. I'm not even going to leverage the discipline you married with the talent to accomplish these great things. In this particular case, I'm going to leverage your weakness. I'm going to leverage your inability. I'm going to leverage your lack of opportunity. I'm going to leverage what some people would consider your failure. Oh, I'm going to get glory from you, but I'm going to do it on the stage of your weakness, not your strength. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And the good news is we don't get to choose. We don't get to choose because none of us would choose this. But let me ask you a question. Isn't it true, if you're a Christian especially, but isn't it true as a Christian when you meet another Christian that has a life circumstance that just makes you shudder and you walk away going, God, I am glad that's not me. I don't know how I would deal with that. I don't know how I would manage that in my home. I don't know how I would deal with that kind of marriage. I don't know how I would deal with that kind of boss. I don't know how I would deal with that kind of financial setback. I don't know how I would deal with it. And you scratch below the surface and you find some people to whom God seems to have said no, and they have peace. And they say this. If you talk to them long enough, eventually it comes out. And they say, you know what? His grace is sufficient for me. That somehow God has chosen not to make me strong. He has chosen rather to showcase His strength in the midst of my weakness. And aren't those some of the most impressive people you ever meet in your life? Aren't those the people that make you scratch your head and go, you know, there has to be a God. There's no other explanation for that. So here's a heads up. If it's in your future, 
Here's an explanation if it's in your past. Here's some comfort if it's in your current situation. God will, God has, and God is going to showcase His strength in your weakness and in my weakness if we will learn to take no for answer. And it has nothing to do with His love for you. It has nothing to do with His compassion towards you. It has nothing to do with His presence in your life. In fact, folks, His strength in your weakness is His presence in your life. And then Paul wraps it up this way. He says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest, dwell, take up residence in or on me. And he continues, That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. And do you think he's just making this up? I mean, is he just giving all this up? I mean, who would say that? And then he says this. And if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, church, come back from vacation. Come back from wherever you are. And then he says this. For when I am then I am strong. So what's our takeaway? Look at the insert in your bulletin if you would. I'm giving you five points to take home with you. Kind of summarize all of this. Number one, we have permission to ask God to remove our thorn. So you have a pen or a pencil, you might want to fill in the blank. We have permission to ask God to remove our thorns, and that's good news because it doesn't show a lack of faith on our part to ask God to remove our thorns, whatever or whomever they may be. Number two, God has permission to say no. You have permission to ask, I have permission to ask, just like the Apostle Paul, but God has permission to say no. Number three, God may choose to showcase His power on the stage of our weaknesses. In other words, it may never change. Some things may never get better. Some things may never work out. Some things may never be healed. Some things may never come back together. And that is not a reflection of God's concern or lack of concern for you. It is His opportunity to showcase His strength in the midst of our Number four, you can't experience God's sustaining grace while resisting His will. Now here's the rub for us. There's a word you sometimes hear in Christian circles. It's the word striving. We had it in Sunday school this morning. <clears throat> you know what striving is? Striving with God is being so intensely frustrated with God because God won't answer my prayer. And I'm not going back to church. And I'm not going to listen to those stupid worship songs. They're just full of lies. Oh, and I'm not reading my Bible. So you just shut God out, and then guess what? All you can think about is God. I'm going to shut God out, and, and, and all I do is have these imaginary conversations with God, and God says, you realize those are prayers. Those aren't prayers. I'm not praying. I'm just thinking about you. And having conversations about you. But I'm not talking to you. 
God's going, well, that's a prayer. I'm not praying. <laughs> well, then don't think about me. I can't not think about you. I'm just so mad at you. And God going, well, at least I got your attention. See, that's called striving. And everybody in this room, we've had striving in our life. You don't quit believing. You can't quit believing. You've seen too much. You think about your past. You think about what God has done in other persons' lives. You can't abandon your faith, even though it would be comforting to try. You quit reading your Bible. You quit going to church. Then you come back, and you quit going. It just makes you mad. But here's the thing I would say to you this morning. You will never experience His strength in your weakness. You will never experience sustaining grace. I will never experience sustaining grace as long as we're striving against His will, even if it's His short-term will for your life. You'll just be mad. You'll just be bitter. And you know what? You'll still be a Christian. You'll still be a believer. You can't get away from it. But you won't benefit from it. And then point five. Sustaining grace begins with not my will, but your will. Sustaining grace begins with the prayer that our Savior prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said as a reflection of what the Apostle Paul said, God, I don't want to have to drink this cup, the cup of death, the cup of salvation, uh, crucifixion. Here's what I want. Here's what I don't want. Here's what I want you to, to do instead. But Father, now that you know what I want and what I would like for you to do differently, not my will, but your will be done. And into the gap between what I want and what God has decided to do, into the gap between what I think God owes me, what I deserve, and what it seems like God does for everybody else, and then what God chooses to do in my situation is sufficient, sustaining, empowering grace. But you never experience it. I've never experienced it. We never experience it as long as we're striving and resisting and arguing and trying to quit on God. It begins when we say, if this is what you've chosen for me, not my will, not my will, your will. God, I'm trusting you for your strength and your empowerment to do what I just don't have the strength to do. And you know what? The reason I can say that with confidence today is because that through the years, the people whose stories have done the most for my faith are men and women who didn't get to put a bow on the end of their story. And you get to tie a ribbon on it and stick a fork in it and say, it's done. It's in my past. Now, it's the people who are in the midst of it, who every single day, in some cases, every single hour, every single week, every single opportunity would say, I don't know that this is ever going to change. I don't know that this is ever going to get better. But when I am at my lowest point, when I don't think I can go on any
grace is sufficient for me. God's grace is sufficient for me. Say that with me. God's grace is sufficient for me because in my weakness, He is strong. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We come out of that time in the service where we respond to the Word of God by a